Hi, I'm Elizabeth Grayson. I played Amanda on Highland of the Series and the spinoff called Highland of the Raven, and you are listening to Highland of the Watch. Watchers, welcome to the one, the only Highlander Rewatch podcast, the podcast where each and every week we take a look, a fond, loving walk down memory lane to revisit our favorite franchise from the 80s and 90s. That's right, Highlander. Today we are joined by a very special guest. She has graced stage. Graced. Ah, boy, guys. (laughs) (laughs) It's Elizabeth Grayson. If you couldn't guess by that awful pun. But we are very excited that she took the time out of her busy schedule to join us. Absolutely. Uh, And I hope she does not mind the Grace puns, Grace stage and screen, Elizabeth Grayson. So, yeah, we uh, recently covered the episode Legacy, which delved deep into the backstory of Amanda Devereux. Mm -hmm. Uh, Please join us in welcoming to the show Miss Elizabeth Grayson. Welcome to the show, Elizabeth. Oh, thank you so much. I'm I'm happy to be a part of your show. It's exciting. Sorry, my my dogs are barking. As soon as I get on the phone or anything (laughs) like this, they start to bark. I have a great day, and he's quite loud, so you'll probably hear him. He's my pet dragon, so you all... (laughs) Happy to be here. <laughs> Keith has that effect on all dogs. Yes. <laughs> and some humans. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for having me on. It's our pleasure. Could you just start by telling us how you initially got involved in the, the weird world of Highlander and this kind of strange universe? Oh, wow. You know, um, years ago, I don't know what the year was, whatever that first episode, uh, I don't know when that was, early 80s. Early 90s, I guess, right? Uh, I got a call from a producer I'd worked with on um, The Death of the Incredible Hulk. I can't remember exactly who it was who called me, but it was someone associated with that production and said, are you interested in playing a character who um, is a jewel thief? She's immortal. She's, you know, over a thousand years old, and it shoots in Paris. And I was like, uh, yeah, <laughs> I will definitely love doing that. And I didn't even have to audition for it, so it was like, wow. It was like a real gift. And I flew to Paris and did the first episode, and I guess, you know, just like anything else, it felt like it was a um, a one-off thing. I had a great time, of course. It was just amazing to be working in Paris and meeting everybody that was associated with Highlander. And then I don't know how much longer it was after that, but I guess the character did well with the fan base and the character of Amanda, and they wrote me in again, and then again, and again, and again. And, you know, the first thing you do when you uh, get a Highlander script is you check the back of the script to see if your head has been cut off. (laughs) So just sort of the way it goes. And I, you know, could see that she was not being decapitated. So um, that's how I got involved. And I, you know, I've always said this to everyone that it's, you know, the luckiest, luckiest opportunity uh, for me. And it's the best acting job I've ever had. And Raven, same, same thing. You know, it's just so much fun to play that character and uh, to work with Adrian and with everyone else associated with Highlander in general. It's, it's just such a, a blessing to me to have been part of it. And still, you know, I'm still part of it. And they're still my friends. And 
Um, it just keeps going on, and it keeps re- recruiting new fans, and I hope it lives on. I always want the character of Amanda to live on in some capacity. People write uh, novels, the Highlander Imagine series, she's alive in that. I've, I've got the rights, actually, to create a young adult series. I just haven't gotten around to it, but um, based on Highlander the Raven. So. Wow, wow. It's a wonderful world. It's a wonderful world, for sure. Well, we just uh, recently talked about your episode Legacy on our previous podcast, and we were curious, uh-huh. uh, did you have any um, kind of say into the development of Amanda as a character as it progressed through the series? And like, what did you lend to the character that maybe wasn't on the page? So that would have been my third episode, I think. Mm-hmm. Not, not something like that. I, yeah. So that's pretty early in, in her development. Uh, no, I mean, I had no say so. <laughs> oh, wow. At all. No, none. I mean, I, I just, you know, it just happens sometimes when you get a character that you really click with it. And it just was a good mix of what they envisioned and then what I could bring to it, if that makes sense. And um, Legacy in particular, I, I just watched a bit of it just to get a reference because I actually couldn't remember which episode it was. <laughs> I had to look at it, and um, it, it cracked me up because I'm doing a Cockney accent <laughs> in my uh, flashback, which is crazy. My, my husband <laughs> makes fun of me every time. He, he always goes, yeah, no, do your Cockney accent because it's pretty bad. And I even had a... I even had a dialect coach, and, you know, that's what we came up with. <laughs> it cracks me up. Because she's French, I think her origins are French, and I'm like, why, why the hell does she have a cockney accent? <laughs> very funny. Very funny, very funny. But I, I know we wanted to, to create something that was different in a flashback. So, But I think the very first episode I was on, I didn't have any accent, so... You could tell that we were kind of working it out as we went along, but um, the fans were forgiving. You and Adrian have tons of charisma on the screen, and you know, uh, you know, your personality I think is definitely one reason the characters stuck around so long. Was you, you, you guys are always great fun to watch uh, whenever you're together. Oh, we have so much. We always. I can't wait to see him in uh, Florida because you just have so much fun. We, you know, I loved uh, all the episodes of the Highlander that I worked with uh, Adrian. We just, and we're both workhorses. We have our work ethic is very similar. We just, you know, churn it out. We're very hard workers. So we would, you know, go the extra mile to learn the tango or to learn um, dance steps for something. Uh, in the second episode I was in, and just always coming up with new ideas. And um, on camera, it was just fortunate that we were relaxed enough around each other just to have fun. And I think that that does play, uh, you know, you do see that. And people, you know, makes everyone feel comfortable and entertained at the same time. So it was great fun. Thank you. I'm glad you liked it. <laughs> <laughs> was there any, uh, like, special training you had to undergo or anything that was, like, out of your comfort zone uh, when you were performing on Highlander? Pretty much everything. <laughs> I mean... Uh, you don't do too much well, sword I mean, fighting in real life? No, not really. And then luckily, you know, the first episode I was in, I just, I pick up someone else's sword and, and pick up off the head so it's like I didn't really have to do anything but by the time well the second episode then I had to do a cabaret number I'm like oh my god and you just I mean you just kind of find out not that far in advance but you know when they actually finalize a script it's not like I have a month to prepare anything it's like all right we're going to do a cabaret number here so-and-so is getting a song I think you can sing this can you record it you know you're like oh okay I mean it's just on the fly I knew how to sing so that was that part was easy but it was you know just you have to just roll with it Sword play, however, you know, I did not start out having any training. As it went along, I started taking classes, but um, I was never very good. Um, Adrian was is excellent. He's an excellent uh, martial artist in general, but um, I didn't really have that training and didn't really have a big desire. I probably should have spent more time on it, but um, 
for some reason, they didn't really require me. They didn't want me doing my own stunts. They didn't want me doing anything. So I, you know, basically had to look at holding a sword and, you know, get the basic moves. There's one episode called The Stone of Scone that uh, I had to play golf, and I don't really play golf. So I went to, uh, and I beat Roger Daltrey in this, this con game of, you know, golf. And um, so I had to just learn how to look good carrying the golf club and, <laughs> and swinging and I so I took just basic you know lessons on on that but I never really played golf but I went to I remember going to a country club and I had this golf pro um teaching me how to do all of it basically like well how do I walk across the green with a golf club it looks like I know what I'm doing you know yeah. <laughs> all the basics so that's the that's the great fun of acting it's like you know any of those things um you can decide well I really like doing that you know especially a character like Amanda who's that old, just think of all the life experiences she's had and it just sort of opens up your own educational route, you know, whatever you're interested in and what, what's happening historically during the flashbacks. It was, it was a great um, education for me as well. Lots of fun on top of that. So, <laughs> And it's pretty interesting, I think, you know, the episode we were just talking about, Legacy, is one of the episodes where your character starts to... shows a lot more personality and emotional depth in the, the context of that episode. And what we sort of read is, like, what the, the role, particularly of women, in the Highlander universe actually is. And your character, Amanda, probably is the lead female role in the entire series. I was wondering how you kind of approach that and how you think that changed over time. Well, I mean, the Rebecca Horn character who played my mentor, um, Nadia Cameron, is a fantastic actress, and we became great friends after that episode. Uh, and I really, I just, I love that episode because you get to see that mentor relationship with someone that, you know, we, we, we didn't really tour around with them being lovers or anything like that. But I mean, you can just sort of project whatever you wanted to on their relationship because they're so, they're strong and they're, wily and they're having fun and they're um, engaging and you know I'm trying to think of all the female characters I worked with throughout the uh I know even on Raven there were not a lot of women that I played against I'm sorry I'm blanking because I can't think of all the female characters and I and you, this is going to sound terrible this is going to sound terrible but a lot of the episodes I haven't seen a lot of Highlander episodes because I'm not in them because there aren't really a lot of women in the Highlander episodes that you're not in certainly not ones playing the kind of lead roles that that you end up playing in in your appearances. Right. He had a lot of female, com- a lot of love interests, though, didn't he? I can't, you know, over the... Yes. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of, like, dances in distress <laughs> and things like that. But yeah. in terms of, like, well-developed, yeah. right. kind, of, kind of butt-kicking women, there are not that many. Um, yeah, do, uh-huh. do you think there's been a change kind of in, like, the action landscape since you, you know, worked on the show Highlander that like, I mean, I feel like we're, we're starting to now see the emergence of like stronger female characters in superhero movies. And, you know, I think you were part of that movement to start, you know, stronger action stars on TV. Um, God, I hope they, you know, I, I can't wait to see the new Wonder Woman, for instance. I think that looks amazing. She's, she's fantastic. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's kind of a boy's world. That whole the comic book world and the fantasy world is still, oh, Game of Thrones. I'm just thinking of all the great female characters. I hope the situation in Hollywood in general, as you get older and you're female and, you know, like you said, you've, I've played a lot of damsels in distress. Oh, my God. i played more damsels in distress than anything else other than the Highlander. That's sort of what you get relegated to. I mean, I'll be interested to see. I, I don't act that much anymore, but um interesting what they would do with an older version of me mm-hmm. out there now. <laughs> Who would she be? The mom dam- damsel in distress or something. 
But um, I'm hoping that it changes. It should, because women do kick ass. And I think there's some great, since the, um, uh, what was the one that Jennifer Garner was in? She was like the first, I think, really great television. Oh, was that an uh, alias? Yeah, she was great in that. And, you know, that sort of was the emergence of someone who could actually do martial arts and look really strong doing it. And it's progressed, but, you know, it can always go further. I, like I said, I can't wait to see the new Wonder Woman. I hope that that's just awesome. I hope it is. And another thing it kind of shares in common with Highlander, it's kind of a period piece. You get that historical perspective that's always a lot of fun. Yes, yes, definitely, definitely. So I have, a, I have an 11-year-old daughter, so she's a real, um, she knows all the superhero staff. She's a Harry Potter freak. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, I see it all, and I've seen it all. So I, I, I enjoy it. And my husband is a big um he likes Iron Man and all that as well. So I, I go see everything. I love it. Have you shared your work on Highlander with your daughter? Is she old enough for, for that yet? She's watched some episodes. You know, I'm her mom, so it's not as interesting to her. At least <laughs> not, not right now. She doesn't really care. I mean, I, I didn't even tell her I was this America until a couple of years ago. And she's like, huh. <laughs> 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 she's not impressed. She's not impressed. So I was like, okay. You know, there's more things I'll have to tell her as time goes on. But <laughs> um, at the moment, she's, but she might like it. Because the, the episodes aren't that scary. I mean, she watches, if she can watch um, Iron Man and all that, then she can watch Highlander for sure. I think it just maybe the storylines are just on a, um, get a little bit more adult. Mm-hmm. I don't know that she would be into it yet. But she will be eventually, I'm sure. I read an interview you did, and you mentioned um, you may have channeled your grandmother a little bit into your portrayal of Amanda and your new book. And uh, a, a lot of us got uh-huh. into Highlander because of, well, me specifically, my grandmother and Keith and Kyle, I, their mother watched the show. I was wondering if you talk about your grandmother's influence a little bit. Yeah, first of all, how old are you guys? Uh, <laughs> uh, I well, we're we're revealing lots of stuff on this show today. We're That's really right. letting it all out. Um, uh, I'm 31. <laughs> I am also 31. I'm I'm the baby. I'm I'm 28. <laughs> Wow, that's amazing that you guys like Highlander. Well, we we all started watching it when we were like in elementary school, I think. Jeez, you're making me feel so old. When I see you, I'm going to slap you, I think. Because I can. We also have that effect on people. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, yeah, so my grandmother, um, I spent a lot of time with her when I was a little kid. Um, I, cause my mom was in nursing school and, <clears throat> uh, my dad was working and just being a jerk in general, but, um, spent a lot of time with my grandmother and, uh, she was just really wily. She really loved to stir the pot in almost any scenario. She did things like, well, she had crystal balls around the house and palm reading books and, you know, she would tell these outrageous stories about all these fairies at war with spiders in her attic and she loved to tell ghost stories and just scare the crap out of me and you know she was just you know and all of my friends and it was just she was a real character so when I I saw um when I was working on Amanda I just thought about her ability and sort of drive to just stir it up every time she was in you know with the family or a gathering or anything like that and I just thought well Amanda that's definitely her you know she's she really likes to stir it up, and especially for for uh, Duncan. So, yes, yeah, she was she was a great influence. So, and your grandmother's rock for getting you into uh, yeah. <laughs> that's great. That's great. Well, luckily for us, they they were all really into Adrian Paul, right? <laughs> oh, I'm sure they were. <laughs> That's so funny. Are they going to be at the, Are they going to be at the convention? No, I don't think uh, I don't think our our mom's going to make it out though. I'm sure. Uh... 
I'm sure she did. She'd be she'd be swooning. Yes. Uh, yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, he, I saw him, uh, let's see, it's been about July I saw him. He looks good. Tell him that. Tell him that. Yeah. <laughs> he looks really good. <laughs> he, he's aged well. <laughs> uh, so was, like, fantasy in these stories a big part of your life growing up? And, like, how has that influenced you today? Well, I, you know, I've always been sort of, um, I'm thinking of, like, the death of the Incredible Hulk as well, you know, I've always played characters. I get cast as the spy or someone of like a master of disguises, and I think of Amanda's kind of that that type of character as well. And I really am comfortable in that that headspace of um, make believe, you know, extreme make believe. I wouldn't say that I'm a. I've always just read fantasy. I've read. I've just read all sorts of books, but um, I like sci-fi fantasy. And I did it as a, a student and as an adult. I. I still I read all sorts of things, but um, when I sat down to write my book, Shalili, I knew I wanted to write a fantasy, and I didn't know what. And then I read this article in a Scientific American about uh, the Pythia, the oracles, and archaic Greece, and the Numa, the gases that came to come out of Mount Parnassus, and it just sort of got my head spinning with this idea. And um, it took a little bit of work, and I don't even know the point when I decided to send her to a parallel dimension. My my character Sippa, you know, she's this misfit, misfit mystic, and uh, she really wants to be an oracle, but that's not in the cards for her because there's a prophecy that she has to fulfill. The hero gets um, transported to another dimension and she has to go rescue him and bring him back and I don't even know when that happened in my head <laughs> and I just said oh yeah and then I create this one called the paradigm and yeah it's full of creatures mythical creatures and you know I just I, my mind just exploded with possibilities and all of a sudden I was creating names for strange creatures and you know, I, just, I don't know. So it just must be in my DNA, and maybe that is from my grandmother's stories back in the day and my voracious reading habits as a little kid, and I don't know. I mean, it, I think it is part of me, and I think I'll always write fantasy. And even, like, the films that I'm that I'm working on, the feature film that's set in uh, the Loire Valley in France, and it has a, I guess it's a dark fantasy. It's not, it's not a horror because it's not, you know, nothing is that scary, but it's very spooky. It's kind of ghost, ghost uh, story sort of element to it, where this girl is hearing spirits. So I think it's just me. I can't help it. <laughs> it's inside yeah. there. Let it come out. Hey, Rewatchers, have you picked up your copy of Elizabeth Grayson's brand new young adult novel, Shalili, yet? In the heart of ancient Delphi, Thippa, a 16-year-old misfit mystic with unusual gifts, stands at the edge of a cosmic pool, ready to drown. Her sacrifice is the only way to open the portal within the water's black depths, and the only chance she has to bring the young warrior, Ision, back to Earth before darkness annihilates love from the cosmos. Submerged in the pool, Thippa's heart stops beating and the portal opens. She finds herself unexpectedly transformed into an exotic butterfly girl, a creature of legend, the Shalili. Resurrected into a parallel dimension, a land full of mythical creatures, talking animals, and the pale ones who dominate them, Thippa, the Shalili, is captured and sold to the very man she came to find. With darkness looming ever closer, Thippa must persuade Ision to return with her to Earth by telling him a fantastic story. Their story. The story of love. So pick up your copy of Elizabeth Grayson's brand new novel, Shalili, today. You can find it on flapperpress.com or amazon.com.
So you mentioned a new movie you're working on. Can you tell us about uh, your company, Flapper Films, and what, what kind of projects you've worked on in the past and what's coming up for you in the future? Yeah, um, well, I'm always in a constant collaboration with uh, a modern dance company in Pasadena, California. They, um, I met them, gosh, it's probably almost 10 years ago now, but I'm always adapting something of their uh, live performances into some sort of film. Uh, they've been, I've done a lot of short films and narrative films that are based on things that I've seen them do. I'm current, I just finished a uh, documentary, a documentary short called Dance for Joy, which is all about, um, it's sort of a celebration of these healing movement classes that the Mark Morris Dance Company in New York City and in, and excuse me, in Brooklyn and the Linux Dance Company in Pasadena, they have these classes for people with uh, Parkinson's disease. And my grandmother had a Parkinson's disease, so um, I was very close to my heart, and I met all the people associated with it. So I made a film about the programs, and I've just submitted it to film festivals, so we'll see what happens with that. And hopefully it'll get involved you know, with the Parkinson's community and encourage people to um, take these dance classes, these movement classes. People recovering from stroke, from you know Alzheimer's, all sorts of things. Just dance is good. It creates a um, sense of community, and it's you know, just physically it helps people. It gets their you know their blood flowing and um, gets them unstuck from you know any psychological issues they might be having. It's just, it's a wonderful thing. So that film is. I finished that one. I'm, I've got a, uh, the footage of an interview with Lee Merriweather that I just uh, did in July. I did a spent the day with her and did a day long interview, wow. and I'm going to be doing a documentary short on her. Um, she's a former Miss America as well, so I met her uh, earlier in the year with all of these former Miss Americas. We had a rendezvous in the wine country, and I got to meet like 30 of you know Miss Americas from. Uh, well, she's, I love her year, 1959, I think, and all the way up to Miss uh, America from a couple of years ago. So it was really interesting. So I did the interview with her. I don't know when that's going to be finished. I'm going to get a lot of footage, archival footage and photos to, you know, make it work. And then I'm working on a uh, live, uh, an adaptation of a live performance called Ceiling in the Floor that Lineage does. And it will be a feature-length film. It'll be um, probably for the educational market, but it's a, story about uh, an arc of friendship is told through original music and dance, and um, there's a narrator involved in it. It's a very dark piece that deals with uh, mental health issues, body issues, uh, and ultimately suicide, and really heavy piece, but it's very authentic and raw and interesting. Um, so that's it. Those are the film projects, and then I'm always writing something. I've uh, been working primarily uh, on my other website, which is for when I self-published Shalili this summer, it made sense because I've already I've written a couple of other books with other people, nonfiction and fiction, that um, made sense to just start my own publishing company. So the ProperPress.com will be a um, not so much it's a publishing company, but it's also an e-commerce site that will sell unique and one-of-a-kind uh, merchandise. You know, everything from magic wands to paintings to skincare to jewelry um, accessories. I'm very excited about it, but it's been a lot of work to get it off the ground, and hopefully it'll be in full launch uh, by mid-November for the Christmas season. So I'm busy. I'm too busy, but, um, you know, whatever. Wow. <laughs> I, I, I always tell people, 
when I die, I plan to be completely exhausted. You know? <laughs> that's my philosophy. That's my philosophy. Just if I can do it. If you can do it, do it. You mentioned uh, your time as Miss America. I was curious, did you always have the acting bug, or was kind of the sense of pageantry in you know Miss America and beauty pageants, did that lead you or influence you to want to become an actress? Uh, definitely, uh, because I was going, I was an accounting major. I was going to go, go to law school. I wanted to be a corporate lawyer. That was my goal when I started, uh, when I won Miss America. But it's not a bad after game. a year... Yeah, Kyle's a lawyer, so... <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. But after a year of performing every other day, you know, 200,000 miles, actually, you know, performing every other day somewhere, I did get the bug. And it was like, all right, you know, when the year was over, it was like, all right, well, I have this scholarship money. I have the money I've made, you know, touring around. What am I going to do? Do I really want to go back to school and do accounting? And I just, you know, I didn't want to. So I took that scholarship money and moved to New York City, and that's where I studied acting. And that experience alone of I studied at H B Studios down in Greenwich Village with a woman named Carol Rosenfeld. And, I mean, it just, you know, as soon as that happened, it was just like opening this, you know, Pandora's box <laughs> in a lot of respects because you have to just access all of your emotions. To, you know, you have to be able to call on all of that, and that's what you're sort of trained to do, uh, to create characters. And, you know, it just it really changed my life. So I don't know. How far back you say, oh, that changed my life, that changed the course. But, I mean, the Miss America pageant, even though I'm not pro-pageant, I, I, it's interesting. I haven't been associated with the pageant in 20 years or more. Um, but I got this uh, this call from a former Miss America said, we're having this rendezvous. It's the second time we've done it. Uh, we really want you to be a part of it. And I'm like, well, I don't really go to the pageant. I'm not part of it all anymore. They go, we don't care. We just want to meet you. Come, you know. So I, I met, met them and had such a great time. And... I still don't really want to go to the pageant, but I just went to uh, Arkansas last weekend because the current Miss America is from Arkansas. And there's only been three of us from the state. Um, Miss America, I'm 1964, and I was 82. And then the current Miss America's name is Savvy Shields, and she's from Arkansas as well. So they do this big homecoming when you went, you go back to your state, and uh, they, you know, roll off the red carpet and have all these events. So... I thought, you know what, I'm going to go back for this because it's sort of historical and I need to be part of it. And it was really strange to go back into that world. Of, you know, I haven't been involved for so long. So I don't really think it's relevant anymore. I think there's an opportunity for the pageant to harness all of that energy and um, all the – because all the women involved in it are amazing. I mean, they're just, you know, gung-ho, super uh, focused young women who have tremendous power. And I, I think it's a shame that – you take all of that and you just stuff it in high heels and make it walk across the stage. You know, right. it's like, dude, do, do something with this program. <laughs> you're calling it a scholarship pageant. Reinvent it. Make it current. Make it something that's relevant again. What was so, the moment that changed your opinion of kind of pageantry and what, what made you have that shift? Probably when I moved to L.A., I quickly figured out that I should never put that I was Miss America on my resume. And I never told anyone, my agent knew, of course, that I was that was never pushed because... Especially back then, which would have been um, late 80s, um, when you go into an interview for a character, you just need to go in as the character or as yourself, and, and then you move into the character as you're doing the audition. But if they know that Miss America's walking in, it's such an iconic, especially back then, it's such an iconic title that they have to wrestle with all of that when you walk in the door, if that makes sense. And so it's like... It's, it, I, I, I'd always drop it in, like, after I got a job and I'm in the makeup chair, maybe a week into it. I go, yeah, yeah, and I was Miss America. 
and they go, what? You know, it would be, they would be very surprised, but I, it didn't really benefit me to tell anyone. So I think that was the break of it that started. And then as time went on, I, I just, I don't know. I just didn't think, I, I thought it was too kitschy and kind of outdated. And I don't know, especially, I mean, I did Playboy. And after those years passed, I really, you know, I spent a lot of time self-objectifying <laughs> myself. That doesn't make sense. But, you know, and I, I, I think that the pageant, um, I don't know, it's the objectification of women. And I, I you know, being someone who have, I've wasted so much time doing that, instead of just being an artist and working, there could be something that honors young women and something that's created that would be more beneficial. That doesn't um, involve a of, swimsuit competition, maybe? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah you know, get rid of that. Get rid of the silly talent, you know. Make it like the... Um, you know, more TED Talk talent, you know, where you can re- really motivational and help people and, and help people think about things they not, had not considered before. I don't know. If you sing, that's great. But, I mean, do you have to twirl the baton? Do you have to tap dance? It's just like, you know, yeah. come on. <laughs> that's, you know, I think it's silly. But that's just me. And I'm, you know, it's probably good I'm not involved in it because I would be in trouble. I, I did an interview <laughs> with someone in Arkansas that our study said, he's like, well, you're just kind of the rebel, Miss America, aren't you? <laughs> I don't know where, well, <laughs> I don't know if you want to call me that, but okay. I guess maybe so. We're in that category. Does your daughter have aspirations to follow in your footsteps in, you know, performing um, arts? I don't know. She's just 11. She's just figuring it out. Definitely right. not bad. She's not interested in that. She's more of a, she's not a tomboy. She's kind of a tom girl. She likes sports. She likes all sorts of things, but yeah, she doesn't. Because I know some parents are like, no way you're you're getting into the entertainment business. <laughs> well, I don't think you can do that. I mean, she's going to be what she wants to be, and I think the more I tell her not to do something, that's what she that's what she's going to want to do. So, <laughs> I'm trying to guide her without being too pushy because I she's she's strong willed like I am. So, it's, you know, I've got my own little battle going on there, <laughs> and I haven't even hit the difficult part yet. So, we'll see how that goes. On the subject of special talents, at the uh, upcoming Highlander convention, I understand you're going to be teaching a fan dancing class. Can you tell it's, us some more about that? Yeah, it's uh, it, it's uh, the flying uh, the, the rainbow flying fan. It's a uh, I learned it when I was doing uh, Highlander the Raven up in Toronto. I thought, well, wouldn't it be cool if Amanda <clears throat> had some other sort of martial arts trick up her sleeve and Someone sent me a video, I watched all these very funny videos with knives on the stands and all of this, and it just so happened that there's a woman named Helen Rue, who was my um, my teacher, who taught me all of, of the forms. Um, she lives in Toronto. Her mother invented this Tai Chi um, form, martial arts form, and it's, um, it's, I guess it's kind of like a kata, but it's, it's using, it's like Tai Chi, but you use the, the fans and you pop the fans. It's quite dramatic, and, but it's beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. I learned a little bit of the Kung Fu fighting fan for the episode that I did with it, but um, she really encouraged me to do the Tai Chi, and it's so great because I, I do it when I, when I practice it to be able to teach a class. I'm like, why am I not doing this more often? Because every time... Uh, it's been a long time since I've done one of these uh, conventions, so I mean, you really have to learn the form, and it takes a lot of work, but it's so rewarding and so relaxing and so centering. So when they, I wasn't going to do it at this convention, but I guess it was requested by somebody. So I said, "All right, well, I'll pull out the hands. Here we go again." Um, but it's quite a, it's a beautiful form of Tai Chi. Are you going to take the sword class, Adrian? I think we're going to be maybe at all the classes. I think. Uh... Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, just a representative of our of our crew. Yeah, 
I think yeah. I think a nice relaxing class is kind of a good thing at a convention like this because they can kind of be stressful, especially if you're behind yeah. the table. You have to like sit there and be at attention for X amount of hours, eight hours a day. So I, I, like this like kind of relaxing class sounds like I think really yeah, useful. We'll do it at, you, you already sold eight. We'll yeah. yeah, I'm yeah, sold. Yeah, we'll do it in the morning. We'll do it in the morning. So it's a great way to start. You know, just have, have your cup of coffee and distract. It's really nice. It's a lot of breathing and, you know, it's, it's just like an hour and a half. So it's not too strenuous, but it, it's, it's fine. I think you'll like it. Yeah. Please come. When you were Amanda, were, are there any stories you wish you got the opportunity to tell as Amanda, either in the Highlander series or in the Raven? Oh, wow. Well, I never had any um, facial and storylines at all. We would switch, we would change dialogue all the time, but, uh, I, you know, they did such a good job of writing for my character that I didn't really have to um, suggest anything. But what's interesting, uh, since Peter Davis gave me the right to do these YA novels if I, if I want to, the Highlander, the Raven. So I, I did. I haven't. I, at the time, he gave me the rights. I wrote extensive outlines and all of that with complicated storylines. That I'm not going to tell you the storylines because if I write it, <laughs> then that's what they'll be. But yeah, I mean, I, I'm very interested. I, I love Venice, Italy. So I have her. She has a um, the Palazzo Luna in Venice. That's where she always retreats to. That's one of her. We always said that Amanda has jewel stashed, jewel stashed all over the world, and you know secret hiding places all over the world as well because she goes into hiding periodically. So, um, that's, you know, there's lots of stories. I think her history is, you know, the character that, that old, you know, there's so much that you can tell. But for the series themselves, you know, Highlander the Raven was a very different form of Amanda than uh, Highlander the series. They had to do that, I think, because they had to make her legitimate enough that she could take a head at the end of an episode. And I don't think you can have someone who's sort of the moral compass is a little wonky. That was sort of decided that, you know, we had to kind of write her compass slightly to where she could be more heroic. And I think, you know, it was fine with me, but it did take a little bit of her wily edge off, you know? And I didn't really have a character like Adrian to play off of. So I just think with her character, you could do so many things. And it's just sort of endless. I hope to keep writing it. I don't know if I'll get around to it, but maybe somebody will. <laughs> Hey, Rewatchers, we can't wait to see you at the Highlander 30th Anniversary Convention in Lakeland, Florida, this December 3rd and 4th. And one of the biggest reasons we're excited to be at the convention is to take Elizabeth Grayson's Flying Rainbow Fan class. Um, Elizabeth Grayson was lucky enough to train with Master Helen Zhaorong Wu in the art of Flying Rainbow Fan when she filmed Highlander the Raven in Toronto and actually even performed it in one of the episodes. Um, over the years, Elizabeth has conducted Flying Rainbow classes at various Highlander conventions. This class seems like the perfect way to start off a busy weekend at the Highlander convention. Uh, the class is $40 a person if you bring your own Tai Chi fan, or it's $60 a person and the fan will be provided for you. We can't wait to take this class. It's going to be a blast. You can pick up your tickets today at LashConEvents.com That's L-A-S-H-C-O-N Events.com. We'll see you in Florida. So if you had the opportunity to, to be immortal, would you take it? Sure. Sure. It's, <laughs> it's, um, it's something that we always talk about at conventions, and uh, we're always asked that question. I think it would be incredibly difficult because I'm at an age now where people and my, you know, whether people and animals, you know, things pass on, and you wrestle with that loss. 
And if you think of an immortal's life, anything, anyone or anything they attach to is going to fade away, and that's just going to be a constant thing throughout eternity if you can stay alive. I think that would be really wearing on on a person, on an immortal. And I think Duncan's character really exemplifies that sort of aspect of it. He has that weariness to him of, you know, I mean, he walked up into the mist at the end of the series. So he's like, eh, I get it. I'm tired of this. You know, you can tell he's really... Um, exhausted by all of it. So I guess I would want to be immortal, but I'm sure it would be fraught with difficulties. We and always... Especially from the front of your head. No reason to drag. If I could do it without that part, that would be really yeah, great. Yeah. <laughs> without the constant fear of decapitation. We, yeah. we always we always also ask people uh, if they would want to be immortal, what would you want to do with your life if you had an eternity to, an eternity to kind of explore the, the world, the options? What would you want to do? Wow. Um, everything. I mean, I would travel to every country. I would uh, definitely just travel. And I think that might be, you know, that's what Amanda does too. But, I mean, that's definitely what I would do. Um, now that I have a kid and my life is very different, I don't do a lot of traveling anymore. But I very much had that bug when I was younger. And um, I don't know. I, well, personally, I would try to make the world a better place. But now I sound like I'm in America. <laughs> world peace. World peace, yeah. But, um Compassion, you know, I would try to spread that as much as possible. You're, you know, an aching world, and I'm very aware of that, and I have to keep myself optimistic, and I try to, you know, the whole point of Flapper Films, for instance, is to create inspiring and inspirational, you know, inspirational educational content, um, especially for multi-generational women. Um, Because, you know, Yes, you know, the world is a rough place. It's a difficult life that we have. And I, I like to address issues either in film or in writing. You address the issue, but then I like to throw the lifeline as quickly as I can in a storyline to um, offer hope. Because I think people uh, get very discouraged. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's really hard for a lot of people. So if I had an eternity, I would work on just helping people as much as I could. You bring up a really interesting point. Amanda, your character on Highlander, strikes this interesting chord of being a completely awesome, kick-ass woman. Uh, but all the while, she retains all her femininity, which is a really interesting dichotomy. Do you have any advice for young girls who are just now maybe starting to kind of... Uh, chisel out their identity in this world? Wow, that's a hard one. Um, you know, I think that living an authentic life, and it takes a while to figure out what that is. You know, what what are you, what do you really want to do with your life? You know, who do you want to be? And I think for, I mean, I wouldn't want to grow up again at all. <laughs> that was just such a hard process. So, you know, I have my daughter now, so I'm having to marshal her through this. Um, and she's, she, it's interesting because she's not, She's both. She's a little bit of, she's feminine. I can see her, you know, primping a little bit and aware, you know, aware of herself and aware of her body, but she's also, she doesn't care. And I, I just want her to learn what her heart is. What is, what is her, what is she about, you know? And that, that takes experience and, um, the time and, and making a lot of mistakes and, I don't know. It's hard to keep all of it, keep yourself intact, you know. Um, so the advice is just, you know, to be, don't give yourself away. Don't give all your good, good stuff away, you know. Um, be open hearted, but walk forward with confidence and curiosity. And it's so hard not to be affected by the bombardment of advertising and, um, ugh, you know, there's just so much that women are dealing with. And you can see it in the current political climate. I think it's, it's, you can just see what's happening and it's evolving, but 
I have I have hope because I mean look at gay rights and and the great things that have happened. The documentary film I did uh, the Dan Deal is about um, female impersonators in Arkansas. This was in the late uh, '80s that when I did the film of of them, it's sort of transforming from male to female. If you go to my YouTube channel, you can see it. It's like a 30 minute documentary. There are these female impersonators who compete in the gay Miss Gay uh, America pageant system. So I was really fascinated with. Their world is very different than the Miss America pageant, but um, <laughs> their lives changed. I found, yeah, I found all the footage again and was able to tweak the sound um, and fix it. But when you look at it now, it's almost like a historical document because it's the late 80s, and their world is so vastly different. Being gay in Arkansas now means their life is so, I'm not saying it's easier, but, you know, their world is transformed and I, for the better. I think across the United States, and so I have hope that that young women are going to come to power. I, you know, I'm really I'm eager to see what happens in the next generation with, with these girls and these young women who are finding themselves and finding their own power and not uh, acquiescing to all the male energy in so many professions. You know, just I don't know. I think there's hope, and I think something that we're on this way that it's going to crash is going to be fantastic. I hope so. That's my that's my hope. Do you have any, I mean, with the convention coming up, do you have any, like, crazy Highlander convention stories that you feel like you can share to, or, or anything with, like, a Highlander fan or anything interesting like that? Oh, wow. You know, I, we always have a good time. They're exhausting. It's a lot of people, a lot of energy, um, and then seeing everybody backstage. We, you know, we have such a good time. Because um, the last really big one we had in L.A. near the airport, that was a really big one. Yeah. And those are... Those are um, Carmel McPherson, who lives in Australia, she ran the she ran um, the convention, and uh, it was massive, and it was exciting. And um, I don't know how big this one's going to be. Not the big is better. It's just because um, intimate conventions are nice as well. It's just more personal, and you're kind of. Uh, I'm doing a convention in Tucson on November 11th. Uh, it's the PestCon. It's a fantasy um, convention, fantasy sci-fi convention, book signing type thing. And I'll be filming um, the cosplay characters. I'm going. To, I'm thinking about a documentary. Uh, I don't really know much about that world, but um, I figured I would identify with it because you know I get paid to dress up and <laughs> be a character for a living. So, um, but that's only, that's a very small convention. It's like 200 people, I think. They're limited tickets. Do you have any crazy stories oh. from the set of Highlander? Oh my God, too many. Um, <laughs> has there is there one you fun. haven't shared before with anyone that you think uh, the time might be right to let it out of the bag? I think I've shared the one about Roger Daltrey. I mean, working on that episode was so much fun. I, he, he was hysterical. And we just pretty much laughed the whole uh, week that we worked together. It started out when I met him on the golf course. Um started out with we were actually betting because I could swing by the time I um, did that episode. And we were on a golf course in the middle of nowhere in the French countryside, dressed in our, I think we were in 1940s, 1930s clothing, and um, we started making actual wagers on all sorts of things, like uh, what, what time we would wrap, what time lunch would be, what would we be having for lunch. So we were constantly making these bets. And at one point, Roger, it was really cold, and we were out there very early in the morning, saying, oh, okay, um, a bathtub full of hot chocolate. You have to send it to my room in Paris. <laughs> Fill my bathtub with hot chocolate. And I think I won the bet in the end, but we decided on dinner instead. They are at the uh, on location. But um, every 
every day. I mean, it was just, he was, we laughed so hard. What is the episode that I do with Peter Winfield where we're just, I can't stop laughing during the take and need a computer? Well, that, that kind of thing, that didn't happen that often. That's actually kind of embarrassing to laugh <laughs> that much and not be able to keep a straight face, but it was late that night, so it was hard to kind of keep it together. But um, all that, that happens constantly on the set, especially when it's a comedic um, episode. And, we, as you know, that's the first time that I've ever been cast in comedies. I mean, no one ever cast me, especially when I was younger. I just didn't look funny or something about me. So they never cast me and to any anything, sitcoms or anything funny. So it was great that the Highlander people thought, they thought I was hysterical. So they gave me these great scripts to do. So that was just so much fun to work on. I can't think of any specific story. I'll work on it for the convention. I'll think of some <laughs> Just dog, dog my memory. So Amanda, or I just called you Amanda. So, Elizabeth. <laughs> We were jo- we were that. joking uh, before we before you called. Who is going to accidentally call you Amanda? And it's me. I yeah. lost. Yeah. <laughs> it's, should, uh, it's one bathtub full of hot chocolate. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh, there you go. <laughs> um, we want to thank you so much for coming on the show. Is there any like final things you want to leave our listeners with? Um, how they can maybe purchase your book, Shalili, and where they can connect with you on social media or Twitter? My uh, book, Shalili, is currently you can order it on Amazon.com, but if you go to com. you can click through and get to it. Please order it. Please write me a review. I need more and more reviews. I would love that. Definitely. Definitely go to flatterpress.com in, in the next month because we're going to have amazing merchandise, uh, beautiful things that uh, I think, you know, unique and one of the kind of items that I think people would really love. Um, and my flatterpress, uh, my, excuse me, flatterfilms.com, you can get to my YouTube channel through that site. I'm um, at flatterfilms on Instagram and Facebook. And Twitter and the Shirley on Instagram as well, and Slap of Press on Twitter. So I'm all over the place. And where can people get tickets to the fan class at the 30th anniversary convention? I, um, I think we're going to be, uh, we will sell tickets on the day, but uh, it'd be great if we could get people to sign up before. And I think they just go to the convention. Um, Right. I'm not exactly sure. Is it flashcon.com? Flash yeah, I think it's uh, lashconevents.com. Yeah, that's where they can get tickets for the class as well. So please come out. That's we're going to have some fun. Definitely. Well, we can't wait to see you there, and we can't wait to see uh, all the Highlander fans and other uh, stars and producers of the show. It's really going to be a great time. Uh, and for all our listeners yeah. out there, yes, make sure to pick up your copy of Shalili today at FlapperPress.com. Check out the YouTube channel, Instagram, all the different outlets of Flapper Press. And if you're in the Tucson area, check out Elizabeth Grayson on November 11th at the uh, convention there. Thank you again so much for coming on. This has been a real treat. If you ever want to come on our show again, we'd love to have you uh, to talk about any projects you're working on or if you just want to chat more Hi. Islander. Oh, thank you so much. I really enjoy talking to you guys. Can't wait to meet you. Yes, yes. looking Likewise. forward to it. Likewise, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure we'll be okay. talking at the convention. Take care, uh, Elizabeth. Yeah, try not to slap you us too. when you see us. Yes, right. Yeah. <laughs> but if you do, okay. we'll, we'll, we'll manage. Right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. I can't wait to meet you. Thanks a lot, guys. Bye. Thank Bye, you. Elizabeth. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.